It's 5 a.m., and though it's still dark, you spring out of bed with the kind of energy that is rarely appropriate at this hour of the morning. Your stomach turns with nervousness and excitement as you get dressed and scarf down your breakfast. Today is a big day. You are a priest, and you have been chosen to perform a sacred duty reserved only for a select few. So yeah, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. But nothing in the world could prepare you for what's about to happen next. Welcome to Because She Believed, the story of Mary, a narrative podcast by Deep Spirituality. Mary was an ordinary girl who changed the world because she believed. This is episode one, Believe and Be Mary. So if this is the story of Mary, why are we talking about a priest? Well, Mary lived in a world that wasn't made for her. She was an unmarried woman and most likely no more than 16 years old when she became pregnant with Jesus. In the world's eyes, she would have been unimportant and overlooked. But she became important because of one small decision, to believe God. So before we jump into Mary's story, we need to introduce you to a guy the world was made for. He seemed to have two of the things many of us strive for, prestige and status. He was important, well-known in his community, and devoutly religious. And yet he lacked some very important things. This is cousin Zechariah. Luke 1, verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Okay, imagine you're Zechariah. You've been killing it at your job and just got a huge opportunity. You get to work ready for your big moment. Now, not everything in your life has turned out the way you wanted it to, and we'll get into that more later. But at least one thing is in your control, and that's your job, so you give it your all. But as you go about your work that day and step into the sanctuary alone, something weird happens. Even though you're indoors, a slight breeze starts to pick up. In a matter of seconds, sharp winds blow all around you. You cover your face to protect your eyes, and then all of a sudden, everything goes quiet. You slowly move your arm and see an extraordinary figure right in front of you. Luke 1.13. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure that this will happen? I am an old man now and my wife also is well along in years. You have so much of what the world would consider success, but you also have in the back of your mind one painfully unfulfilled dream, having a child. For years you prayed for this, hoped for it, expected it, 
only to come up empty. Still, you have fought hard to keep serving God through your years of disappointment. You spend your life helping people worship God. You and your wife follow all the laws, and you have asked God over and over for a child. And still, after all these years, God hasn't answered this prayer. You know what it's like to feel unseen and unnoticed by God. Maybe you've been having doubts that God is powerful or loving enough to finally answer this long-awaited prayer. Maybe you've accepted that this is just a disappointment you are going to have to live with. So when an angel tells you you're gonna have a son, now, in your old age, you may feel a little defensive. All that pain you thought you moved on from springs up to the surface and you can't let yourself risk disappointment again. At this moment, any outward status or achievement you've accomplished in your life doesn't matter. When it comes down to it, you just can't believe that this dream could come true. Let's take a minute to pause and reflect on how this could apply to us. Do you have an unfulfilled dream like Zechariah does? Or something you expected to happen in your life that hasn't yet? Maybe your dream has to do with having children like Zechariah. Or maybe it has to do with dating, your physical or emotional health, or your family. Whatever our deeper desires are, it can be easy over time to become unbelieving that these desires even matter to God, much less that He will fulfill them. When we carry around these unfulfilled dreams and unbelief, it's easy to distract ourselves from that disappointment by focusing on what we can do. We can improve our behavior, pursue achievement, look for ways to feel successful, and none of these are bad things. But what we can do is limited. Like Zechariah, when disappointment turns to unbelief and we are faced with what we see as impossible, we each have a choice. Will we only rely on what we can accomplish or believe God even when His promises seem out of reach? Let's see how the angel responds to Zechariah. Luke 1, 19. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was He who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Zechariah's unbelief doesn't stop his prayer from getting answered, but his unbelief does prevent him from being able to enjoy the moment of discovering God's incredible plans for him and his family. Take a second to ask yourself, how much do doubt and fear stop you from enjoying the process of discovering God's plans for you? Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth do in fact have their child, John, who then grows up and paves the way for Jesus to make his mark on the world. So God comes through for Zechariah, not only answering his prayer, but giving Zechariah a purpose much bigger than himself. Now let's check in with Elizabeth's young cousin, Mary. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. All right, now imagine you're Mary. You're a teenage girl. Society today is much different than society in Mary's day. But one thing that remains the same is that the world is generally not kind to teenage girls. And yet God chose you, an ordinary teenage girl living an ordinary life in an ordinary town. 
whose biggest concern is probably to stay on the well-worn path your parents have set before you and that all your peers are taking. And then an angel comes to your street to find and talk to you. This teaches us something important about God. So we asked our editor-in-chief, Russ Ewell, what he thinks we can take away from this moment. Russ, God chose a teenage girl, someone with very little status in society in that day, to be the catalyst for the most impactful event in history. What does this teach us about who God is, and what do you think this has to do with us? One of the things that we underestimate about God, really, too, are humility and faith. Why does God pick a teenage girl? Well, the unique thing about Mary is she was humble. They were poor. They didn't have much. You see that based on the sacrifices they would have later. She was anonymous as far as society was concerned. In Luke 1, 52, it says, He drags strong rulers from their thrones and puts humble people in places of power. Well, right there, you find your answer. God is looking for humble people. He's looking for people who see their need for Him. He's looking for people who want to be close to Him. He's looking for people who, wait for this now, who trust His process rather than trying to only stick to their process. Thanks, Russ. Look forward to hearing more about how to trust God's process. But let's travel back to Mary's village first and see what happens. As you walk through the crowded streets of your neighborhood, maneuvering around the shops and merchants shouting at each other, your mind is filled with what most teenagers' minds are filled with. Do I have something on my face? Did I do everything mom asked me to do this morning? Am I gonna run into Joseph today? With your head down and mind racing, you don't notice the now deserted streets or the angelic figure you're about to run smack into. Whoa. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. You jump back and look around, wondering if you were the only one seeing this. Who is this guy? He's saying God is with you. One second ago, your biggest concern was whether you had something on your face. And now you have this angel telling you God is with you. You hadn't considered that God would pay much attention to someone like you, much less that he would send an angel to talk to you directly. What could this mean? Confused and disturbed doesn't even begin to describe what you feel. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God, for the Word of God will never fail. This is a loaded statement. This angel is telling you you are going to give birth even though you're not married yet. Not only is this plan impossible, but if it is true, then you have a lot of pain ahead. If people see you're pregnant before marriage, in your culture, you'll most likely be ostracized, criticized, and even put in danger over it. But the angel says something else too. God has chosen you to bring his son into the world, changing it for good. Much like Zechariah, you are faced with a decision to believe. Let's take a minute to pause and reflect on how this applies to us. Though we may not face the same high stakes as Mary, 
We face decisions like hers all the time. When God calls us to live out a purpose bigger than ourselves, He doesn't expect us to just blindly follow. He just asks for a little faith. Though both Zechariah and Mary had some questions about God's call, it's what was behind those questions that set them apart. Zechariah seemed to ask out of doubt, and Mary asked out of curiosity and faith. What can we learn from these two people? Our role in God's plan is not determined by our status, talent, or religious behavior. It is determined by those small moments of fear, uncertainty, and hardship, where we will either retreat in unbelief or be brave enough to say yes. Let's bring Russ back for a couple final questions. Russ, in your view, why do you think Zechariah and Mary responded differently to God? And what are ways we can know if we are being like Zechariah today? And how can we become more like Mary? The first thing to understand about our response to God is in many ways, there's not a bad response to God when we are exercising our faith. What happens is some of us are like Mark 9. We believe, but we need help with our unbelief. That was Zechariah. Now, here's the tricky thing. God wants to be known. That's ultimately what he wants. He wants a relationship. And when the relationship is solid, there's trust. But the different responses to Zechariah by Zechariah and Mary, they have a lot to do with age. And I want to talk about that for a moment. If you're over 40, if you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, or beyond, then more than likely you've suffered more than a few disappointments in your life. We all do. And Zechariah, when he responded to God saying he and Elizabeth were going to finally have a child, he said, how will I know this is going to happen? That question is the question of someone who's faced disappointments. That question is someone who has gotten on their knees, gone out for a walk, and prayed day after day, week after week, year after year. Probably when he was 18 or 19, 20 years old, whenever they got married, he had a lot of hope. And as each year went by, his prayers became more difficult to say. I know from having children with special needs and the different challenges they face, that oftentimes I say prayers and what I want to have happen doesn't happen. And so it's easy at that point to think it'll never happen. And I think that's what happened with Zechariah. And so when he finally got his answer from God in the positive, an angel brought it to him. He said, how am I going to know this is going to happen? How's it, how, how can I be sure about this? Now, I don't think the silence of God for Zechariah to have him be silent was punishment. I don't think it was. I think it was God saying, dude, you got some work to do on your faith. And how about we just put you in a period of silence so you can think about this and you can understand exactly what's happening. Why do I think it wasn't punishment? Because when John was born, they asked his dad, Zechariah, what's his name going to be? And Zechariah wrote down John and then suddenly he could speak. God was trying to get Zechariah to overcome the years and years of disappointment, the years and years of grief of not having had happen what he had hoped would happen. And in that silence, Zechariah was coming to understand, I worship a God who has a process and that process must be trusted. We don't always know God's purpose. We don't always know why God has us on a particular path. We don't always know what God's ultimate plan is. We're just part of it 
We're not the whole plan. And in his silence, Zechariah figured that out. And it becomes one of the most incredible parenting stories of all time as Zechariah and Elizabeth in old age have a son who becomes the greatest of great prophets. Now, what about Mary? Why was she different? She was a humble person. And here's what humility is. Humility is our ability to get beyond ourselves. It's our ability to say, I'm going to let go. I'm going to stop trying to control it. And I'm going to trust not my process, but God's process. What was Mary's process? I get engaged. I get married. I have a baby. What was God's process? You get engaged. You have a baby. A little different process than Mary's process. So Mary had to let go of her process and trust God's process. Now, if you're like me this holiday season, with the jingle bells flowing, with the wonderful Frank Sinatra music and the Rat Pack going, or maybe you're listening to some Josh Groban or some Pentatonics or whatever they're called, Mary trusted. Are you going to trust this Christmas? Thanks, Russ. It helps to remember that God will pull through when we trust the process. Let's look at Mary's response to the angel. Luke 1, 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Just as quickly as the angel arrived, he's gone. You walk home in a daze. This life-changing event just happened to you and no one else even saw it. As you go about your day, eating with your family, doing your chores, going to the market, everyone around you carries on business as usual. But your whole world has turned upside down. From here on out, your decision of faith will be the foundation for everything that is to come. In order to stay strong in her faith on the path that lies before her, Mary needs to have a deep belief about who God is. This belief is clear in her prophetic prayer later on in the chapter. Luke 1, 46, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. Mary sees God for who he is. She knows he isn't a God who sees only the outside appearance who focuses on the high and mighty, but one who cares most about the heart. He sees the unseen, remembers the forgotten, and empowers the lowly. Mary's understanding of God sets the foundation for her powerful faith and can be summed up in three words. He took notice. Mary is a compelling example of the fact that no one is too young or too insignificant to make a difference. Like Mary, our view of God will determine how we respond to His vision for our lives. When we only see what we are capable of, we open ourselves up to doubt and cynicism. But when we focus on what God can do and value what He values, we'll have the faith to say yes to the impossible. 
When we believe He takes notice of us, we don't have to worry about taking care of ourselves because we understand that God's already got that covered. Mary saw God for who He was, so she was ready for anything and everything to come. Which is good because she was about to do one of the most important things in history, give birth to the Son of God. Join us next time for Mary's Not-So-Silent Night. Thanks for listening to our series entitled Because She Believed, the story of Mary. A quick note about our narrations. Our storytelling is based on the Bible, historical research, and our best guess. Only the Bible verses are the inspired word of God, and the storytelling is added to help us experience the scriptures as if we were there. If you like what you heard today, make sure to subscribe and drop us a line at podcast at deepspirituality.com. 